0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Baghdad Hello, fellow travellers. I'm Dina,
0: and I'm Ali. Ready to go shopping, Dina?
1: I'm always ready to go shopping, Ali. We're <laughs> headed outside and taking a tour of the bazaar, one of the most important places in the Middle East.
0: Now, Dina, you've been to Middle Eastern bazaars or souks before, right? How about the one in Cairo? Can you tell us a little bit about what you would have seen traveling to the souk?
1: Of course, I'm always overstimulated. There's always so much to see. (laughs) My personal favorite souk is Ghen el Khalil. So if you haven't visited it before... This is your sign. It's in the heart of Islamic Cairo. I love the cobbled streets, the colourful wooden doors, the lights from the gorgeous lanterns that are hanging around everywhere, all the different spices. But my favourite place has to be the incense spot. Mm. Because for me, Egyptian musk... There's nothing like it.
0: (laughs) I know the exact smell you're mentioning. And this is actually one of the most fascinating things about studying history, because what you just describe is what you would have seen back in the day. We historians always joke that our job is basically switching back and forth, talking about how some things change over time and how some things remain the same.
1: All right, Ali, I'm ready for one of your gorgeous descriptions. Take us on a walk.
0: All right, the first thing we're going to experience... That's the sounds. The bustle, the noise, the voices of people bargaining, laughing, joking, even arguing. It's a city alive with sound.
1: You know, it's sort of a comforting sound for me. It brings back a lot of memories. I'm very lucky to have lived a huge portion of my childhood in Egypt. Summers, Easter's, Christmas breaks, and all of these things you're describing – I can feel those exact moments and remember them very well.
0: It's a city of life and it's a sound of life. And it's the sights that are going to match those sounds. I mean, you're going to see throngs of people that are moving about and they're garbed in clothing that reflect their rank. The rich are going to have their silks and their finely woven robes you know, different hues, greens and blues and rich earth tones. And then you have your old men sitting on the side of the street playing board games and young kids running amok.
1: Yes. (laughs) And it isn't just men in the bazaar, is it?
0: No. This was also in this area of marketplace politics where women exerted their most power. So Zubaydah, one of these powerful queens, lived a relatively secluded life. But she's the one that builds the roads for the marketplace. She uses her money in order to build all of Baghdad's connections, including the road leading to Mecca for the pilgrimage. Now, that's one way to stamp your name on history.
1: Let's continue the tour, Ali. What else would we find in the bazaar? It's
0: a good question, but let me ask you something first. When we chatted, what were some of the reasons we decided the location of Baghdad was important?
1: Because it's the place of the empires of old. It connected them to the past, but also, and most importantly, it was the perfect location for trade, right?
0: This was the place all the merchants wanted to be. It's where they were plying their wares. And the gates of Baghdad made it possible. Talked about the Babs. And these were roads that would actually lead directly into Baghdad, while at the same time, you'd have canals connecting it to the rivers.
1: Okay, so let me get this straight. Trade is coming in via land Mm. and by the sea. What kind of goods are we talking, Ali?
0: Everything you could imagine. In fact, the historian Yakut says, whatever the heart desires will make its way to Baghdad. So you're going to see porcelain and jade from China, peppers and spice from India and Indonesia, lapis from Afghanistan, and precious metals from East Africa. And all of this is going to flow into Kargh, that industrial mercantile quarter of Baghdad.
1: Who would I see in these markets, Ali? It's at the heart of city life, so I'm guessing it's a pretty good representation of all the city's inhabitants.
0: You're right on the mark. The bazaar and the souk was a showcase of the bustling chaos of this great city. So you're going to have an Arab population, a Persian population, African people generally from East Africa and North Africa, known as Bilad al-Sudan. You've got Kurds and Indians, Syriacs and Greeks, and that's going to be people from a variety of different classes. You have wealthy merchants with their patrons, you have slavers and the enslaved, and of course, Jews and Christians.
1: This sounds like a thriving city, incredibly diverse. I'm really starting to see why trade was such a lifeblood. But how do you manage all the chaos, Ali? We talked about how the round design of the city was all about order, right?
0: I mean, that's one way you manage it. If you've got a round city you're able to contain it. And of course, the chaos was the feature and something that had to be managed. They were aware of it. This was a mercantile center, a main marketplace. And so what they did is they allowed it to spill over a little bit from around the city. It would expand so that you saw an encroachment of the market on administrative centers, and it would move beyond the walls. There may even have been a plan to keep it organized initially, but slowly the chaos grew over time. You would have short-term stalls versus long-term shops. You had separate mosques that sometimes built so that people could pray there rather than move throughout the entire city. And then, of course, you had market managers. And these managers ensured that the chaos stayed at an acceptable level.
1: What is an acceptable level of chaos, Ali?
0: No rioting. (laughs) No rioting and not too much cheating.
1: Oh, what do you mean cheating?
0: So if you're working off of a marketplace that takes coins in gold and silver, you can manipulate the weights. And so the market managers would go around to make sure that the merchants weren't using shady weights in order to manipulate prices.
1: So naughty that I love all (laughs) of this stuff, right? You're
0: reveling in the chaos.
1: (laughs) I thrive off it. Okay, so Ali, we're going shopping. We're in the bazaar. One thing I really care about is having some food. Are there places to eat in these bazaars like a medieval kebab or something?
0: Oh, yeah. Trade goes really, really well over a cup of tea or even a small meal. So if you're a merchant, you're going to serve some of this. And Middle Eastern hospitality goes back centuries. I mean, you can always sweeten the deal with a little bit of food. We've seen guest culture up close, right, Dina?
1: I still see it now. Every weekend, we always have someone over and we always... Create a feast as if it's the king or the queen in the house.
0: There are also formal gathering areas like tea houses, places to eat and sit down and get away from the bustle. I'm actually a big fan of these tea houses. I don't drink coffee, so for me, it's the tea houses. And even maybe have some shisha.
1: (gasps) I didn't know you liked shisha. You haven't mentioned that before. It's a good point though, Ali, because smoking and tea basically break up the day-to-day hustle.
0: We're talking about a lot of chaos in this city, but we got to remember that they're operating really in a different sense of time than we do. We live way, way busier lives than the people of the past. They worked hard, but they also knew when to take a break. There was this sense, if you will, of slowing things down. Think about how time works with Islamic prayers, for example. Five times a day, the mosques would call out from any corner of Baghdad and shopkeepers would drop everything and attend prayers. Some making space in small alleyways and others walking together all the way to the mosque. It was a city of marketplaces, but it wasn't just a series of errands or items in a checklist. Life moved differently.
1: What I love about everything we talk about, it always seems to end up being a social place. And that's still true in certain parts of the world. If you visit places around the Mediterranean or in the Middle East, the day to day is definitely very different from the nine to five culture that you see in America or even in the UK.
0: Yeah, you can still get a sense of it in certain places in the world. I actually call this the difference between cafe culture versus coffee shop culture. In cafes, you sit around and do nothing. You talk and just sort of linger for long periods of time. But coffee shops are about getting your drink and going.
1: This is so true, by the way. Just before I got here, I popped into a coffee shop and on the table, it literally had a sticker saying 30 (laughs) minute max stay.
0: Coffee culture versus cafe culture, right?
1: I would imagine places where you sit around and chat are also the places that you hear about the local news. I know that when I go to cafes or small shops, you usually see the shop owner listening to the news on the radio.
0: The marketplace is where you did politics. It's where the news travelled. You could sit around and listen to the latest philosopher or you can sit around and plot if you have grievances.
1: Plotting? Like what?
0: It's always been these place where there's some type of rumbling of a protest or some type of rebellion. In fact, there's this really interesting moment. In the ninth century, you're going to see some tensions around succession. A new Khalif is named, a man named Al-Hadi. And Al-Hadi tries to restrict his mother, Khayzuran. Khayzuran is a powerful queen mother. So what does she do? She has him executed. Secretly, she removes him from power. But Hadi had the backing of the military force in Baghdad. And so they organize a rebellion in the marketplace. They rise everybody up and they're saying, we will not accept this new Khalif, Harun al-Rashid. So what does the clever Queen Mother Khayzran do? She pays off the guard and quells the rebellion.
1: All that in a marketplace.
0: All that in the marketplace. So you can have a kebab and join a rebellion.
1: (laughs) The best kind of combination in medieval Baghdad. (laughs) You mentioned previously how elite women were secluded but wielded a lot of power. We can definitely see that in the marketplace, especially from the story that you just told. But it seems more open and accessible than courtly politics.
0: Yeah, and I think we should emphasize that because the marketplace is more open than the court. And so you are going to see women mingling about more with men than, say, the elite space of the palace where you're going to see seclusion. That's very astute. And so there's a trade-off that happens. Elite women are secluded, but they have access to power and, say, education, whereas other women may not have access to power, but they have access to the marketplace. And you have really rich and exciting lives of people like Al-Shifa bint Abdullah, who's one of the first healers and nurses in Islamic history, and then inspires other women in medieval Baghdad to become educators and doctors and to participate in that learning culture. And they generally do that by accessing the marketplace where the local teachers are and the local philosophers are.
1: I really wasn't expecting you to describe the marketplace the way you are. There seems to be a lot of politics involved in the marketplace, which I guess kind of makes sense since trade and politics go hand in hand.
0: That's too true. The Abbasids were really good at balancing the sort of warrior nerd that they had going on plus being merchants at the same time. But both of those things were fully political. The Abbasids were a mercantile empire, and so that marketplace was the way that they did a lot of their diplomacy. You remember that man, Harun al-Rashid, the caliph I just mentioned? Yes. He's actually going to use the marketplace to his advantage. He's going to use those trade routes to develop an alliance with Charlemagne. And he does this by sending special goods from Baghdad all the way to Charlemagne. So for the first time, you're gonna see the Frankish empires will have access to things like peppers from Baghdad, books from Baghdad. And my favorite thing that they'll get is an elephant. Harun al-Rashid takes the cake when it comes to ostentatious gifts. And we have actually drawings of this elephant from French authors.
1: Can I just say the elephants are one of my favorite animals? It's not ethical, but it would be the best gift to give me ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something to think about for your birthday.
1: All right, Ali, what last sight should we see before we leave the bazaar?
0: I have saved the best for last because I too am a warrior nerd. The book market known as the Mutanapi. This is huge.
1: Why is it huge?
0: I mean, book markets are going to make Baghdad unique compared to any other city in the world. You'll find more books at this time period than anywhere. A traveler from Constantinople will arrive in Baghdad and remark that on average, a monastery may have about a dozen or so books, but he he found an entire street of booksellers and each bookshop had thousands of books.
1: What's amazing is that book markets are still found all over the Middle East and the books are piled high for people to search through and buy.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you ever go to the Middle East, you'll find these like bookstores and they literally leave a pile of books that you can work through.
1: And they're never arranged in alphabetical order, (laughs) may I add. That's that chaos chaos. you love.
0: (laughs) Dina, do you remember what we said about the location of Baghdad?
1: Yes, we said that it facilitates trade.
0: Yes, and this is going to be important when we're talking about this book market. Because one of the things that we're going to see is the arrival of paper from China. That's why this traveler from Constantinople is seeing thousands upon thousands of books in these bookshops. Because they have paper versus vellum. Vellum is sheepskin. It's hard to make, it takes time. But once you've got paper you can start mass producing. For the first time, we have accessible books, we have popular books, and we have high literacy.
1: What I love about this discussion, Ali, is there is so much of it is still in the Middle Eastern culture and city life today, which is so beautiful.
0: That's the impact of medieval Baghdad. It leaves something lasting.
1: Today, we walked through the city life of Baghdad and got a glimpse of its market life. Next time, we'll tour its great mosques. But for now, I'm Dina.
0: And I'm Ali. If you want to follow along the episodes on social media or share your thoughts, use the hashtag Echoes of History. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Baghdad Soundwalks. See you next time, fellow travelers.